Hi, and welcome to the channel Historical Places and Ghost Stories. My name's Marsha, and this is my first podcast, so go easy on me. Or not, it's up to you. <laughs> I've got thick skin. I would love to tell you about Sachs Covered Bridge, which is located in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. It is a bridge that was used during the Civil War, and because I couldn't find anyone to give me a private tour, of the bridge, COVID, I decided to make my own podcast because I figured there's lots of people out there who are also going around the country and want to see things and don't really want to be around people right now until there's a vaccine. Uh, so here's a podcast about Sachs Covered Bridge. I found some great stories about it and even a few ghost stories. Feel free to wait and listen to this when you're at Sachs Covered Bridge during your visit to Gettysburg, or just listen uh, for some entertainment for a few minutes. Thanks a lot. Okay, so let's talk about Sachs Covered Bridge. Or is it Socks Covered Bridge? Well, I have heard it pronounced both ways. The majority of the people that I've heard it uh, from other podcasts and from videos on YouTube and such have called it Sachs Covered Bridge. So I'm I'm going to go with that, although I know a lot of people are going to say, no, it's Sachs Covered Bridge. Now, I apologize, but I'm going with the popular vote here. Uh, it was built in 1852, although there's references out there that say that it was built in 1854. My best guess is it was started being built in 1852 and maybe they dedicated it in 1854. That's why I'm guessing you're seeing two different uh, dates there. The builder is one named David S. Stoner. The bridge itself, let me give you some specifics, it's painted red, it's a covered truss bridge, and it is 15 feet 4 inches wide and the length spans Marsh Creek, which is 100 feet. Uh, some important dates for Sachs Bridge is in 1938, it was crowned Pennsylvania's most historic bridge. In 1968, they decided, you know what, let's keep the bridge nice and not allow cars to travel over it. I guess cars were getting heavier at that point in time too, so they wanted to try and preserve it because they knew even back then that this was a great bridge and we need to keep it original. So pedestrians can walk across it. And when I say pedestrians can walk across it, you can show up at two o'clock in the morning as far as I know and walk across it. Even though it's right there at the battlefield, the battlefield does not own this bridge. So it is open 24 seven. And I fully intend on trying to go as late as my middle-aged body will allow me to stay up and <laughs> see if I can't find any ghosts. Okay, back to the back to some of the dates. So we've gotten past 1968. In 1980, it finally got its listing on the National Register for Historic Places. And in 1996, we almost lost the bridge. A flash flood wiped the bridge from its embankments and carried it partially downstream. This was occurring right as a half million, yeah, I said that, half million dollar renovation was taking place. And they needed to raise an additional $100,000 to not only repair the damage that the had incurred being wiped off its embankments, 
but also to raise it up a little bit because let's face it, if a flash flood came one time, it's gonna come again. So they wanna try and save this bridge. And thank you guys so much for, for saving this bridge. It's, it's an absolutely beautiful bridge. And I haven't even seen it in person yet. I'm only talking about what I've seen in pictures and what I've seen on videos. It looks absolutely gorgeous. Okay, so you're wondering, well, it's not even the real bridge since they had to repair it and replace some stuff. Well, yeah, it is the original bridge. 90% of what you see when you go to visit Saks Covered Bridge is the original lumber that was on there. Yeah, they lost some and they had to they had to introduce some new lumber there, but 90% of the bridge is all original. So this is, guys, you've got to get over here and see this thing before it disappears. I'm, I'm always so afraid when I see monuments and, and historic places like this, just go away and, and like a whisper in the night, you, it's made out of wood. How long do you think it's going to survive? Please get out here and see these places. You know, COVID has, has made us do one thing. If, if not, well, I'm, it's made us do a lot of things, but this, this, terrible pandemic has made us realize we need to get out there and see some of these national monuments right in our own backyard. We don't need to travel overseas to Italy and Ireland and England and, and see that. We need to see what's in our own backyard and experience that. And I'm telling you guys, Gettysburg has done a great job with restoring and keeping things all original. So get to Gettysburg if you can. Oh, I'm sorry. We were talking about Saks Covered Bridge in the Civil War. I'm sorry. I got a little off track. Okay, so we're going to talk now about the Civil War, Gettysburg, turning point of the Civil War. This is fascinating. Stay tuned. All right, now let's travel back to the Civil War. And the date is July 1st, 1863. The battle at Gettysburg is about to begin. It's early in the morning and General Robert E. Lee has already crossed into the North for the second time during the Civil War. He wanted to bring the war home to the Northerners. He wanted them to experience what war was like. And he was trying to get the people who wanted peace and wanted the war to end which was a lot of the Northerners, he was wanting them to get a taste of the war so that they would have a distaste for war and be more amicable to just go ahead and split. And he was situated just northwest of town. He had come in through Cashtown area and he was waiting there. Now some say the fight broke out over shoes for the Confederate soldiers. And as the way I understand it, the Confederate soldiers, a lot of them were marching barefoot. And they learned that there were some shoes uh, for sale inside the town. They had asked the general if they could go into town to purchase some shoes. I, ch I don't know who would accept Confederate currency, uh, but they asked if they could. And General Robert E. Lee didn't see why they couldn't. And so a battle broke out. Gettysburg. That's what I hear. And historians, if I got it wrong, I'm terribly sorry. But I do know I got this part right. Gettysburg is the bloodiest battle of the Civil War. And some say that it is the turning point 
of the Civil War. Just as July 1st was beginning, two brigades of the 1st Corps of the Union Army are heading up to defend McPherson's Ridge. And I genuinely believe that they must have used Saks Bridge to cross Marsh Creek to get into position. I cannot find written material backing this up. So if you have some, please share it with me. Because as the way I understand it, the western portion of Gettysburg on McPherson's Ridge was already held by the Confederate Army. Thus, the Union Army could not use that and so would have to cross Marsh Creek in order to take up position. And as far as I could see, the only way that they could cross Marsh Creek was Sachs Covered Bridge. So take a leap of faith with me if you are one of those who don't believe and just take a leap of faith and, and say, yeah, okay, we'll give her that. Two of the brigades of the First Corps might have, might have crossed Sachs Covered Bridge. It seems more interesting anyway. But I really do hope I'm not providing misinformation regarding that. Okay, so General John F. Reynolds was leading the majority of the First Corps that was heading up to Gettysburg. The other part of the First Corps had been left behind to keep another position, and this was entirely away from Gettysburg. The initial gunfire began at 5 a.m. or 7.30 a.m. And I'm sorry, I can't give you an exact time because two different no news sources are saying two different things. And this is much of the way from the Civil War. There's conflicting evidence leading for many things. And this is just one of them. So General Reynolds arrived at McPherson's Ridge and began to direct his troops from horseback, which was totally normal, when shortly after 10 a.m., a sniper fired and struck General Reynolds in the back of the neck. Wow, what a shot. I mean, really, I'm sorry that he fell, but that was an amazing shot. He fell instantly, and as a result, General Abner Doubleday assumed command. And he is also from the First Corps. He's there with Reynolds, and he had even served with Reynolds during another battle. Okay, before we go any further, uh, I want to explain to you where McPherson's Ridge is. Uh, because all of these places still exist uh, today in Gettysburg, and you can go to Gettysburg, and you can walk along the same route the same roads, they're paved now, uh, you can walk along and go along and read along and actually try to imagine what the soldiers were going through. And these soldiers were farmers, they were, they were husbands, they were, they were young boys, they, and yes, some of them were military, uh, lifelong military men, but a lot of them were just average Joe Smo next door guys, okay? What I want you to do is I want you to try and pull up a map of Gettysburg on your phone or your laptop or computer and try to look at this as I'm leading you along. So McPherson's Ridge lays northwest of the town of Gettysburg. 
all right? And Cashtown lays northwest of that. This is the way that the Confederacy was coming into Gettysburg, was from Cashtown up to McPherson's Ridge, okay? And they met with the troops of the Union Army and war broke out. We, we don't we don't know exactly, exactly, and I'm sorry if this is incorrect, but I've seen this on a lot of data, that the Union Army broke out in uh, disgust with the Confederates because the Confederates were in the town of Gettysburg trying to purchase shoes. Yeah, you heard me. Shoes. I don't know how they were expecting to pay for something with Confederate money, because remember, during the Civil War, there was Confederate money and there was Union money because the Confederates wanted to break off on their own and they had their own president and their own uh, currency. And a lot of these uh, soldiers were marching, Confederate soldiers were marching without shoes. That's kind of impossible. So they were allowed to go into town and try to find some shoes and bam, war breaks out. So you heard it from me, which I've heard it from news sources. I'm, I'm telling you, this could have broke out because of shoes. What a what a tale that would be. Okay, so uh, at McPherson's Ridge, General John F. Reynolds was felled by sniper fire. Immediately after taking up was General Abner Doubleday. He assumed command of the First Corps at McPherson's Ridge. The core of the Union Army was overrun by sheer numbers of Confederate Army forces, and they were forced to retreat which is what you have to do. If you can't maintain a position, you have to retreat. And a lot of the Union soldiers knew exactly where to go because they had lived here their entire lives. They knew they needed to get to Cemetery Hill. They knew that they couldn't defend McPherson's Ridge. It was too open. They were gonna get outflanked. They knew they had to withdraw and go back to Cemetery Hill. But the only way to get to Cemetery Hill was to go through town. That draws up a whole other bucket of worms uh, for how to get through the town without in involving the townspeople and endangering their lives. Battle on uh, a ridge is completely different from battle within the uh, town's limits. It's in incredibly different. So you've got the Union Army retreating through the town under the guidance of General Abner Doubleday, who made the call, we gotta go to some place we can defend. And so they, they did, they made it to Cemetery Hill. However, General Abner Doubleday lost command of the First Corps because the Union Army leader, who is General Meade, had a report that said, quote, that Doubleday's command gave way, unquote. Well, to him, that meant that, you know, he was a, a poor leader and he didn't know how to guide his troops. But General Meade didn't understand. He didn't have the troop numbers to fight the Confederate numbers that were at McPherson's Ridge. So if you ask me, Doubleday got stabbed in the back. I think he did the right thing for the set of circumstances before him, and he never received any credit for that. What's more, he also got kind of slapped in the face later on in the Army as well. Uh, and so Doubleday did fight, did defend 
in the, in the Union Army, but he was not in command of the First Corps anymore. Okay? So who was in command following that? Okay, well, I'm glad you asked. It's some guy from another Corps, not even the First Corps. Meade brought over someone from the Sixth Corps and was a junior officer. What a slap in the face. Junior officer to lead the First Corps now. So we're going to get into that next. Okay, so we had uh, the most of the First Corps, the Union Army. First it was led by Reynolds. Then, of course, he did not last any time at all. It was handed over to Doubleday. Doubleday had those four words set against him that got his command taken away from him. Doubleday's command gave way. Those four words. General Meade replaced Doubleday with Newton. And everything turned out fine. Uh, Pickett's charge did not see any success from Robert E. Lee. And the Confederates lost the Civil War at Gettysburg, in case you didn't know. So, of the original 12,220 men and 28 guns of the First Corps that were led into battle at Gettysburg, which I personally believe that a lot of them had to have come across Saks Bridge, 665 of them were killed, 3,230 of them were wounded, 2,160 went missing or were captured. Imagine that. I'll say it again. 2,160 went missing or were captured. In other words, of the first corps that showed up at Gettysburg, 6,055 men, about half of the entire corps was lost. Okay, now we're moving on to the majority of the third corps of the Union Army. And again, it's really hard to tell which troops came across Saks Bridge? There's not too much documentation, but I will let you know when I do have exact documentation. Uh, and I do have a little bit. So the majority of the Third Corps of the Union Army also came from a southern advance to protect Gettysburg. The Third Corps was led by Major, Major General Daniel E. Sickles. That is a tongue twister. This is later in the day of July 1st. And I cannot find a new source to validate how many of the 3rd Corps came across the bridge, but I did find an account where the 2nd Division came across Saks Bridge. Now, divisions make, okay, brigades make up divisions and divisions make up corps. I think I got that right. Okay, so the division was led by General Andrew Humphrey. He accidentally took his troops west after crossing the bridge instead of going northeast. This meant, if you can picture it in your mind, he was heading directly into the line of the Confederates that were attacking along McPherson's Ridge. Once the 2nd Division found the Black Horse Tavern, which the Black Horse Tavern is another place I'd like to talk about later, not in this podcast, but maybe in another one, this guy at the uh, Black Horse Tavern actually gave directions for the troops. Uh, he was forced to give aid to the Confederates, but he found a way to get them back on their way so that they could join the rest of the Third Corps. So we're going to start talking about the Third Corps in general now. He's joining up with his general. 
Okay, so the third court itself is run by General Daniel E. Sickles, and he had just come from following orders to the letter at the battle uh, at Chancellorsville. Well, for you historian buffs, you'll, you'll remember this, that he had to give up a well-defended position uh, because he was ordered to do so, and as a result, the Confederates took it. And he, I don't think he ever got past that. So when he moved his troops on July 2nd towards the Peach Orchard, without orders to do so, General Meade was inflamed by his actions and even rode down to say, what the heck are you doing? And uh, General Sickles even asked him, you want me to withdraw them? And instead of doing that, he sent him reinforcements. Some say, and there's a lot of debate about this, some say that this could have cost the North the entire war what he did. Others say, oh no, Sickles was entirely brilliant. This was a brilliant move that helped to win the war. So here it is, July 2nd, 1863, and General Sickles moved his men towards the Peach Orchard and he was struck by cannon fire. Well, he lost his leg as a result of that, but he was reportedly carted off the field, smoking a cigar and sitting up. He wanted to let his troops know that he was fine and that they should go on fighting. Okay, so after he was struck down, uh, the Third Corps was then led by General David B. Burney for the remainder of the second day and the third day of battle. Burney had served under Sickles at the Battle of Chancellorsville. Uh, Major General Burney assumed command until July 7th when he was relieved of command. The Third Corps had 13,000 men and 30 guns. 590 were killed in battle, 3,030 were wounded, 590 missing or were captured. So in total, 4,210 troops were lost to the Third Corps during the three-day battle. I want you to pay attention to the difference in the numbers. 590 went missing or were captured, whereas from the First Corps, do you remember how many I told you? Yeah, 2,160 went missing or were captured. That is a lot of people. Now, also, they had to go through town, and going through town, I'm sure a lot of them were captured during that point because you've got a different kind of warfare going on when you're in town rather than when you're in the battlefield out in the orchards and in the wheat field and even at Devil's Den. It's a completely different structure of battle. But that's fascinating that there was that many difference in numbers of missing and captured. Okay, so we're at day three, and Pickett's charge was unsuccessful by General Robert E. Lee. Okay, remember, kiddos, let's go back to our history class. Robert E. Lee is with the Confederate Army, and Pickett's charge was his last attempt at Gettysburg to try and win. Well, he didn't. And day three was, you know, his loss, definitely. Definitely. Now, on the morning of July 4th, General Lee was totally expecting another attack from the north, but none came. So he gave the order to retreat to the south. You know, they had lost. Let's go home. So they left to go home, and the heavy rains began. Oh boy, did they begin.
July 4th did bring lots of rain. And on dirt streets, which is all they had back in 1863, dirt and water make mud. So heavily wounded troops were traveling in a northwest fashion, going back much the same way that their attack on McPherson's Ridge. They were going through Cashtown to get to the south. Wagon trains had absolutely no springs on those wagons, so they're bumping and jostling the wounded soldiers that could not walk up and down very tremendously. Lots of agonizing uh, screams and out of pain came from them. And behind the wagon trains were the wounded soldiers that could walk. Those wounded soldiers and the wagon trains uh, were harassed, of course. Uh, harassed as they were leaving. I can't imagine what they were doing to them, what they were taking from them, but they had lost and they were getting it good on their way out. Now, the troops traveling southwest to get out of Gettysburg were more able-bodied soldiers, but they too had wounded soldiers marching with them as well. In any case, whether you were traveling northwest or southwest, you have to remember if a soldier fell during the retreat, their bodies just laid there on the roads. Their, their brethren soldiers could not take them back with them south. They were trying to get out themselves. The bodies of the soldiers were eventually buried by the people who lived there, and many of them were reinterred onto proper cemeteries sometime later. However, there's no guarantee that they got all of those soldiers, especially the Confederate soldiers. That was not their first priority to take care of the Confederate soldiers. Now, Saxbridge, having been positioned at the bottom of the battlefield on the southern portion of the battlefield, where you had the Peach Orchard, the Wheat Field, Devil's Den, and Round Top. Sacks Covered Bridge was the only way to get across Marsh Creek, and lots of these soldiers had to get off the battlefield in order to join their troops heading back home. I have two accounts where two brigades did march across Sacks Covered Bridge. We're getting into that next. So, if you have a computer that you can go to, and still listen to this wonderful podcast, of course, but if you can go to Maps and Google Gettysburg, you can watch along and understand what I'm talking about when I tell you that Saxbridge was basically the only way to get across Marsh Creek. You had Gettysburg, which was the center of the spokes, and then you had all these streets, I think there were seven of them, that come off of the town of Gettysburg. There is no one true way south that they could get to that didn't take you towards Washington, D.C., and that was heavily guarded. So they needed to get away from Gettysburg and get south the best way possible. Those routes were northwest and southwest. The southwest exodus is what I'm talking about now, that I have two accounts of divisions that crossed Sacks covered bridge as they were leaving on July 4th. When I'm talking about divisions, okay, so you've got the Army. That's the biggest group. That was the Confederate Army. Within the Confederate Army, there are corps. Those are the smaller branches within the Army. 
Within the core are divisions that make up the core. Beneath the divisions are brigades, and the smallest uh, are the regiments. So you have regiments, which are small groups, which make up brigades, which make up divisions, which make up the corps, which make up the army. Capiche? Understand? Okay, moving on. General John Bell Hood. My goodness, they used every single name given to them when they were born. General John Bell Hood led a division of the 1st Corps of the Army of Northern Virginia under Major General James Longstreet. Longstreet's an interesting fellow, too, if you want to read up on uh, something to do with the Civil War and you want to read about somebody who was literally torn apart from people that he married into he even renamed his son, okay? This, this is how bad the Civil War was and how it ripped families apart. But anyway, so he was under General James Longstreet. I'm sorry, I keep getting distracted. And General William Barksdale also led a brigade under the same army, the Northern Virginia, okay? The Army of the Northern Virginia. However, General William Barksdale did not make it across the bridge because why, folks? He fell during battle. But his, his brigade made it across, okay? So the division of John Bell Hood made it across, and the brigade of William Barksdale made it across Sachs Covered Bridge. So they followed the same route, and they met up with their fellow troopsmen, corpsmen? Yes, corpsmen. And then they traveled towards Hagerstown. Of course, let it not be said, they were not immune to the raids and the skirmishes and the harassment, harass, <laughs> that's like a radish, the harassments <laughs> that incurred, uh, I would imagine from anybody that saw these troops moving through, they are like, go home, you know, get out of my town, we don't want you here, all that kind of stuff. Probably sick of all the battles as well, I would imagine. Anyway, they did make it back. Uh, they did rejoin. Although I must say that their uh, platoon, pontoon bridges were destroyed because of, can you guess why? Yeah, rain. The, uh, the rising waters absolutely destroyed their pontoon bridges, so they had to hastily make bridges in order to cross. And... It, as I understand it, it was kind of close uh, before Lee's troops met up with them, but they did make it across. Okay, so anyone can see why Gettysburg would have just these fabulous stories to tell, both historical and made up, and I'm glad you listened to at least the history part, so thank you for that. Now we're going to move on to the tales of ghost stories revolving around Saks Covered Bridge. Some, I would imagine, are more likely than others. Some even being quite far-fetched if you ask me, but you be the judge. I'm, I'm not going to judge you. I love a good ghost story. I, I want to believe in the ghost. I really do because that would be so cool to be able to interact with something that lived a long time ago. The most popular of the ghost stories tell of three Confederate soldiers left hanging 
from inside the covered bridge from the very trusses. Variations abound. All three of these stories sound plausible. Personally, I like the third one, but I'm not going to start with it. I'm going to lead up to it. The first spins a tale of three Confederate soldiers who tried to blend in with the Union Army. They were discovered and stood judgment right here at Sachs Covered Bridge. Their captors decided that death would be their fate, and so they were hanged from inside the bridge. They were left there for all retreating Confederate soldiers to see as they marched through the bridge. The second tale speaks of treachery, being deserters from a war. The Confederate soldiers were accidentally happened upon by a nearby Union army, and the three soldiers were questioned and found guilty of desertion, a crime they deemed punishable by death. And since Sachs Bridge was nearby, they utilized it to carry out their own justice. This was to remind not only the South, but the North, that if you were found running away, you would be hung. The third telling of the three Confederate soldiers makes them out to be deserters who stole the clothing off of the dead Union soldiers to try and blend in with the North. They were tired of fighting and no longer wanted to go home. They wanted new names and new identities and new lives. Soon after joining that nearby Union Army, they were discovered to be frauds. But Worse than frauds, they had stolen their northern brethren's uniform right off their bodies as they lay on that battlefield. It took them no time to determine that they must be hanged as deserters and for desecrating the uniform of the North. Whatever their crime, their fate was not only to be hung, it was to hang there and not be buried and never be allowed to rest for their atrocities. Some visitors to Saxbridge say that they hear a loud thud, followed by the apparition of a floating head. And then they hear a loud second thud, followed by the second floating head. But, as it would turn out, no one has ever stayed around to hear that third loud thud. All along the banks of Marsh Creek, there were makeshift field hospitals during the three-day battle at Gettysburg. It was a source of water, and you got to remember, back in 1863, they didn't really know there were germs in the water too much, so they used that. And it was said that Marsh Creek itself ran red with the blood and the amputations from the wounded and dying men. Some even say that the amputated limbs were carried under Saxbridge and found their way to getting lodged in its embankments. Now the accounts of the ghost stories say that sometimes when you're on the bridge, you look over the bridge and you see something in the water and you try to make it out. What is that? And you lean in a little further. And then you realize, oh my goodness, is that a leg? 
and you turn away for just a brief moment in shock. And when you turn back around to the water, it's gone. It's no longer there. Or was it ever there in the first place? Still another ghost story tells of a satanic ritual that was taking place on the bridge. Never could find a date for that. I'm gonna say 60s, 70s, who knows? Could have been the 20s or 30s. A young girl's life was sacrificed for that satanic ritual, but her spirit never left the bridge because she doesn't want to accept that she's dead. Visitors hear a little girl's voice whisper, help me, help me. They never can see who it is, but if you hear that, it's time to head home. There's a rumor of a young man who took his own life on this bridge when his girlfriend broke up with him. They say that when you look over the bridge into the water, you can see him looking back at you. And there's another one. Playful interactions with a spirit pretending to be a cat. You can hear endless mewing and purring. It's called the ghost cat. It sends visitors chasing after the sounds, never finding the cat. You know me. If I found the cat, I'd probably take it home with me. Ugh. No, I'm not a cat lady. Yes, I'm kind of a cat lady. I got two, but I've also got a dog. So is that okay? Countless reports. Okay, so here are the general things that happen to people on Saks Covered Bridge. Don't know if it's related to any of the stories I just told you, but here are some of the experiences. Recounts of hearing gunfire hearing screams of wounded and dying soldiers, seeing, those are called apparitions, apparitions of Civil War clothed men and women, hearing footsteps on the bridge when you're all alone. Hey, if you're all alone and you're on the bridge and it's nighttime and you hear footsteps, shame on you. I'm not going to this bridge unless I take some people with me. No way am I going alone. Okay, some other stuff are experiencing cold spots, seeing mysterious dark mists move around, uh, and, uh, you know, even smelling pipe smoke or smelling gunfire. Those are, those are some other accounts. Now, if you guys go to Saks Cover Bridge during the daytime, it's just as beautiful and quaint and appealing as a postcard. But at nighttime, the ghosts and the spirits or maybe it's just your wild imaginations. I know it would be my wild imagination. Wild imagination. Can't even talk right. Would come to life. See, it's getting me all flustered. I can't think about going there in the dark by myself. That would be too scary. I am going to go there. I just haven't gone yet. I did this podcast. And we'll get into that in the next segment. I'm not going to Saks Covered Bridge at night without my friends. Okay. I'm going to talk about in the next segment, I'm going to talk about why I made this podcast. And then finally, but not least importantly, I'm going to cite all the people and places that I found this information for this podcast. 
And hey, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed making this. It's my first podcast. If you want to contact me about things that you would like to add uh, to this podcast, I thoroughly see Saks Covered Bridges having more than just one podcast. I think it's a fascinating subject. So get in touch with me or make your own podcast. This is a free country still, so go for it. All right, so uh, if you're still listening, thank you. Uh, I just wanted to conclude by saying why I made this podcast and uh, who I cite as my references for making this podcast. All right, so when I set out to go to Gettysburg uh, for a long weekend, I scheduled a lot of tours so that I could learn the history of some of the Gettysburg places. But Saks Covered Bridge turned out to be something that I couldn't find anyone who was doing a tour. So I started collecting information so that I could give my own tour of Saks Covered Bridge and discovered, you know what, maybe other people wanted to learn about Saks Covered Bridge as well. And even if you're not planning on going to Gettysburg, which I highly, highly encourage you guys, get out and see America for yourself. Uh, during COVID, we've kind of been relegated to doing things that don't involve being around a lot of people. And Gettysburg is the perfect place to do this. You can tour the battlefield uh, using CDs that you purchase from the gift shop there at the Gettysburg National Park. You can give yourself self-guided tours. You can walk around Gettysburg uh, downtown and you can eat at some of these historic places that have been around for a very long time and relatively unchanged. So this is why I created this podcast. Uh, it's basically to give people a chance to see that there's other things out there to do rather than just watch videos, uh, which is fun, but get out and enjoy and, and find some historic places and learn some of your own history. Okay, so that's why I made this podcast. And if things change when I get back from my trip to Gettysburg, I'll post some more podcasts uh, about Gettysburg if there's a demand for it. So let me know. I would like to apologize to the entire community of history people, the history buffs, the Gettysburg reenactment people, if I got anything wrong. It's not my intention to do misinformation. I, I think I did a good job researching this. Uh, but if I got something wrong, I apologize. Several accounts seem to contradict each other, and I tried to go with the most viable news sources possible. All the ghost stories were obtained through YouTube videos and written accounts that I found on the internet. And like I said, I'll be visiting soon, so if I see something different or hear something different, I might make another podcast. Let me know if you'd like to hear that. Uh, perhaps there'll be much more that I discover when I'm there. So that's it. Uh, the next segment, I'm going to talk about the resources that I used to make this podcast. Okay, and for the conclusion of this podcast, I think it's important that you know that I don't just reverberate uh, gibberish that I hear from no account uh, people and resources. So here are the resources that I used for this podcast. These are all internet uh, things because, like I said, I haven't been to Gettysburg yet. 
Resources for this podcast include historyengine.richmond.edu, thoughtco.com, explorehistory.com, officialdata.org, stonesentinels.com, onlyinyourstate.com, astonishinglegends.com, civilwarghosts.com, of course Wikipedia, and Facebook page for Gettysburg Historic Walking Tours. The YouTube videos that I use as reference for this podcast, one from 2019 entitled The Haunting of Saxbridge. It's from the YouTube channel Our Haunted Travels. In 2015, the title is Lee's Retreat, Parts 1 through 4. And it's from the YouTube channel Gettysburg Battlefield-Ultimate. Then the last one that I used is a 2014 video that uh, someone took of Ranger Matt Atkinson. And the title of the video that they posted back in 2014 is Dan Sickles, the Colorful and Controversial Commander of Gettysburg. Which, by the way, holy cow, talk about intrigue and mystery and murder Dan Sickles has this entire history that could be a movie, should be a movie. And I don't know, maybe they've made it already. I don't know. I've seen a lot of movies. I love movies and I haven't seen anything made about this guy. And let me tell you, his story is phenomenal. And this is before he went to and fought at Gettysburg. His life was phenomenal. Just a little tidbit infor- information there. He was the first person to use and win in a court of law that they were temporarily insane. Imagine that. Okay, so that ties it up for my very first podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed making it, and I can't wait to go to Gettysburg. I know that this is going to be the first of many times that I go back to this place. Take care, be good to one another, and look for more on historical places, and ghost stories. I'm Marcia.